All right, all right, all right. You know what that sound means. I am Mitch Maley, and this is the Braden Times Podcast, a special pre-Christmas edition, the last one until uh, we come back after the holidays. And Santa brought us a special guest this week. Yeah. We are joined by our publisher and 22-year Manatee County Commissioner, Joe McClash. Hey, Dennis. And uh, as always, Miss Don Kitterman is with us as well. Hey, Don. Hello. So, uh, the first thing that we'd like to ask you about, because we've gotten quite a bit of uh, uh, inquiry about it, and it's made its rounds on social media, and that is your lawsuit against, uh, you basically filed suit against the county's new wetland policy. Can you give us a sort of a, a elevator pitch about what your suit is um, charging and then sort of an update on where we're at? Okay, we'll do, Dennis. And first of all, it's it's called an administrative um, hearing process, and it's actually um, where citizens like myself, or not for profits, or anybody that uh, where there's a state action, county action, you could challenge that action and say, "Hey, you shouldn't be doing this. It's wrong. Here's the reasons why." So the process, instead of going to a courtroom like we have here in downtown Bradenton, it'll be a uh, hearing in front of what they call an administrative law judge pretty much has the same powers as a regular judge but you know the the reason why i felt it was necessary to take this step was because of the concerns that almost everybody has except for our county commissioners that gutting our wetland protection policy was absolutely an insane thing to do it was wrong it was against all the science that was available and presented at the hearings. And the only reason to do it would be to help out a developer that got most of these commissioners in office. Uh, so when you talk about wetland protection, we've had these buffers since the 80s that have protected wetlands. It basically says, you know, if you have this type of wetland, you have 30 feet protection from this buffer. And if you're around coastal areas or even our drinking water supplies, you have the 50-foot buffer. And it's because the science, even back in the 80s and 90s, proved that the impacts of man, when they were developing these developments, you know, the impacts to that wetland is so severe that you need at least these 30 to 50-foot buffers. In most cases for habitat, it could be several hundred feet, if not a thousand feet. So... The 50 feet is the minimum when you talk to science uh, scientists and, and the experts in this field. And we always remind people that if you look at the water quality issues that we're having right now over the last you know five years, they've been increasingly worse. They proliferated under the current the, those yeah, previous regulations. Correct. Yeah. So we actually have not the greatest water, you know, around our coastal areas. Lake Manatee doesn't have the best water this summer either. And so these buffers kind of like help prevent the impacts of man. Are they perfect? No, no, nothing's perfect, but it's, it's a means of at least having a minimum of protection, not maximum, a minimum of protection. So you're still going to have impacts to the coastal waters and as well as your drinking water supplies. We have three drinking water supplies. You know, we supply Charlotte Harbor um, with water from Manatee County. That streams from Manatee County. We have the Lake Evers that basically streams through the Bradenton River um, reaches. And then you have Lake Manatee. And without these protections, then you could actually see worse 
water quality for your drinking water supplies, which means extra cost to our citizens for treating the water. If you could treat it, you know, there may be a time that you can't really treat it like we see, and you have to tell people the water's not really usable, boil it. Um, and then the coastal waters, we have seen such a tremendous impact on our coastal waters, and it fluctuates. Sometimes you have better water quality conditions than others, but a lot of that is associated with rainfall. The less rainfall you have, the less impacts you have on the coastal waters. When you have more rainfall, you have more impacts on your coastal waters. So even though we have good water quality trends maybe right now, it's because we had such a dry summer, dry year, almost two years now as far as uh, where we haven't had the water um, from the rainfall that we normally see. So these are minimum protections that have been there since the late 80s, um, definitely since the early 90s, supported by science. And then it was insulting to many of us to have the county hire the person to represent this issue for the county commissioners that was the so-called expert that was hired by a developer that said that you don't really have any scientific studies to support these buffers. He keeps saying, I haven't seen any. <laughs> so my, my, my guess is that he just keeps his eyes closed anytime those studies come anywhere within his peripheral. Yeah, I don't know how he can't see them because there were so many presented while he was at a meeting and they were like, you know, kind of, here's this one. This is what this one says. I think I submitted 600 pages worth of studies to the county during the hearing. At least he hasn't seen those, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so then, then he basically um, represented to the county commissioners, which, which um, I think is a very important part of discussion, is that the minimum buffer would be a 25-foot average that the state has, or, which means that you could also go down to this 15-foot minimum, minimum buffer but you always would have an average 25. So if you go down to 15, that means you have to go 35 or bigger somewhere else. But during his testimony, when he was defending the developer's request to eliminate the buffers, he told the county attorney at the time that you didn't have to have any buffer. But yet he told the county commissioners you had these minimum buffers. And just last week, we see this application that comes through to Swift Mud from the developer that helps support these county commissioners with no buffers. It means that they they want to put a wall right on the wetlands edge. All right, let, let's before we get into that one, let's get back into the case part. What is the crux of your action? It has to do with the overriding yeah. public benefit. Correct? Yeah, so that's a good question. So basically, the comprehensive plan has a very specific finding of fact that needs to be included anytime the county commissioners change their comprehensive plan. Um, so they have to make a finding of fact, which is a very legal fact-based finding that it was in the best interest of the public, not just in the interest of the public, but in the best interest of the and public. And they, they didn't even really attempt to do that. No, they didn't. didn't. And, and there's actually a part of the ordinance that this amended comprehensive plan has that there's a section called finding of facts. And so you would think you would even fake it and just put it in there that right. it meets the best interest of the public. They didn't even do that. It just says, oh, this is in the interest of the public. In the yeah. beginning, the argument was <clears throat> it's in the interest of the public because uh, small business owners, developers, it was cumbersome for them and for the staff to have this duplicative is what they kept saying. Right. So it was taking up time. It was slowing things down. 
when informed citizenry, really mostly, argued isn't duplicative because right. it's it's not even saying the same thing. Right. You don't so, even have to right. regard the states because the state right. has its minimum. We have our own plan. Right. So it's, there, it's above it. Right. So how can it be then, a duplication? So there's not like it's almost it almost renders the states irrelevant in terms of what our staff in our county does. Right. Then the public purpose, if you will, and I understand what you're saying, that it's not actually written down anywhere. But what we got in the hearings, then the argument in the defense was, well, it's for a public purpose because this is infringing on private property rights and people want to put swimming pools and basketball courts and sheds up. It was a And taking. their wetlands are <laughs> making it so they cannot use their, I mean, just totally Which the courts had previously ruled right. it was not. Yeah, and that's a very important part because the county commissioners, during the last hearing when they're approving these amendments to our wetland protection, stated over and over again very clearly this is a taking and we're going to actually help mm -hmm. sixty-six thousand parcels you know from having their property taken yeah and that's another part of this because we took a look at that parcel right and, and, and the sixty-six thousand parcels were like i was i was shocked i mean just again fake it a little bit you know say fifty thousand, but the sixty-six thousand included the skyway bridge causeway you know right. it included our preserves like robinson preserve it included under water property in the middle of Sarasota Bay. And so when when you really look at the fact that commissioners were saying this was a taking and their county actually defended against it being a taking, have, I think, two, if not three court cases mm -hmm. that um, the same person actually challenged the wetland buffers as a taking, the judges all have said, no, it's not a taking. It's just like setbacks. It's for a public purpose to keep these in place. And I don't know that this would become a part of the hearing process that uh, is being undertaken now, simply because it doesn't really speak to the public purpose, which is really, as Mitch was saying, you know, the, the crust of this all at the heart of the matter. But the lawsuits you're referencing, again, to remind listeners, Mr. DeLisi, who was their expert, was the expert for the developer on the developer side during that challenge that right. the county won. Right. He was the one who was there to give expert testimony, again, that these were duplicative, unnecessary, and unconstitutional now, takings. Now, were you able to, within your motion, were you able to, or, or I guess... Petition is called. Okay, petition is. Um, is it relevant to that? the fact that we saw that staff and the first consultant who actually was more far more qualified than Mr. Lisi did not want to side with the, the county and they essentially had to get to the third party. And as we've noted, the, per the only person that's argued this because he was basically working as a hired gun for developers. And then the county had to hire him as a consultant, just to get someone to say it out loud. Yeah. And, and, and call the county initiated. Right. Yes, the whole yes, step right. And, to, and to make it clear, uh, he's not a wetland expert. Right. right. He's, he is a consultant. He's not and, a scientist. And he's, he's not a, a scientist. And, but he's, a, yet, he's a lobbyist. He's a... Um, but I mean, the point is, is that he doesn't... He, a he planning... Doesn't, uh, he, what, what's the, urban planner. Urban planner. But Thank he you. doesn't have the um, depth of experience to really be telling somebody about wetlands because he's right. a planner no disrespect to planners but typically planners pull in from the experts and and then mm -hmm. bring that information forward 
And so when, when you also look at the way the process works, and it's unlike other processes, so it's what they call a de novo process. So that means it doesn't matter what happened in the past at those past meetings. The hearing that we're going to have, this hearing is scheduled on February 5th, the week of February 5th, all new information can be brought forward at that hearing. So even though the county screwed ignored, up, right. ignored everything, didn't have it back then as far as proving that it was in the best interest of the public, they get to take the second bite at the apple, even though they right. had three public hearings already to prove it. So the important part is that, you know, the way the process works is that the county gets to have a redo. And so everything that we, I am saying that they did wrong in the petition, they can correct at the hearing. And what's really strange is that now there's a state law that says if you're not the, at the prevailing party, mm -hmm. can basically uh, recover their attorney fees. Yes, and I was just going to ask you about that. So we, we learned quite a bit yeah. just through this process. Go right. ahead. So, so, again, there was a new statute that essentially was developer-driven that said if you challenge, it was, and specific to comp plan. Yeah, it's just specific to the comp plan. Yeah. Uh, not even LDCs, just comp yeah, plan? comp plan. Okay, so just comp plan amendments. If you um, don't prevail, yeah. don't prevail, you can get saddled with the attorney attorney's fees costs. And costs. Right. Yeah. And so it's a real dangerous predicament for somebody to now challenge an action of the county that they know the county didn't do correctly. But now you have to hold them accountable with the risk of having to pay back the attorney fees because now the county, through this de novo process, gets to correct their action that they screwed up the beginning with. And so um, the other part that they have to, uh, that part of the petition before I forget, uh, besides being in the best interest of the public, the state requires that data and analysis be incorporated in any change to these comprehensive plans. So there was no data and analysis ever presented by the county. So it'd be interesting to see if the county actually has any data and analysis that they bring forward to support their action was in the best interest of the public. I, I the only the only data I can think of off the top of my head was Mr. Delisi showed a very um, misleading graphic chart, if you will, of all the other counties and that they defer to the state, defer to the state, defer to the state. Yeah, but, but that's not data analysis. No, yeah, data analysis would be something. To, to directly counter the 50-foot buffer is not needed because it's not needed to help the habitat. It's not needed for water quality. Right, we have these studies yeah. that show the 25 yeah. at least is just as good yeah. as water quality, which again right. doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. So the, but where are we at in terms of, you said during the Nova process, they have the opportunity to correct it then, but if they make corrections, then that doesn't expose you to the same liability, does it? The way I read the statute um, and the rules, it's kind of interesting because they call, uh, they have a definition for a non-prevailing party. And then they um, go on to basically uh, say that if you had a petition and there are substantial changes in the conditions that you actually were responsible for, like correcting the county's failure to do all these data analysis proofs and, and do, uh, making a finding for uh, the best interest of the public, then you're what they call a not a non-prevailing party. So only the government could come up with these right. terms. So <laughs> you have a non-prevailing party, and then you have a not a non-prevailing party. So if you make a substantial change in the conditions that you petitioned against the 
government, which would make sense, right? right because right. if you petition your government and say, hey, you screwed that up, and then they get a chance at this hearing to fix rectify it, right. and to fix it, then you are responsible for fixing a failure of what they should have done right to begin with. And you shouldn't have to be the person that's non-prevailing. So they, they don't say that you're the prevailing party. They just say that you're not the non-prevailing party, <laughs> which I believe is interpreted as the prevailing party. Uh, in regards to how law fees would be, uh, attorney fees would be assessed against a person, you know, supporting uh, or presenting a petition mm -hmm. and challenging the, the action. So it would seem from a reasonable read of that, that your exposure on that is minimal. It should be minimal. Because it really, right. it would seem like even let's say the most asinine outcome, if, if you know, the, the judges is not sensitive to your argument, the most asinine outcome would seem to be accepting some, you know, Mickey Mouse statement and data about, you know, why it's in the public benefit and accepting it, but they would still have to acknowledge that it wasn't presented the first time as the complaint requires. Correct. And then there's even further language in the statutes that cap the amount of exposure to $50,000. Yes, which is another thing yeah. we learned in this process yeah. that we were not aware and, of. And yeah. so um, it's kind of interesting, though. So I... I you know, I filed the petition and I reached right out to the county and say, let's get together. Let's see if we could find some common ground. Let's see what you feel as part of the petition you don't agree with, that you right. agree with, you know, because we, we are ordered by the judge to meet and kind of like, what can you guys agree on? What are the real issues, you know, before the hearing? So the county for two weeks, you know, said, we'll meet with you, but not right now. Well, next week, I'll send you an email. So then all of a sudden I get a motion, <laughs> a motion for the county to ask the judge to have a hearing 10 days after our hearing where we present all this information. And if the county prevailed or whoever the prevailing party would be, then the judge would award the attorney fees and costs 10 days after the hearing uh, for all this testimony and fact-based stuff. And I find it odd that the first action that the county takes is actually doing a motion to say, Hey judge, you know, we're, we're owed attorney fees. It's almost like a shot across your bow right, saying, right. Yes. hey, McClash, you know, we're, we're going to come after you for That's the exactly attorney That's exactly how fees. I would interpret yeah. that. <laughs> and so the first thing is that we have different rules in the administrative hearing processes. Before you actually present a motion to the administrative law judge, you have to ask the other side first, do you agree or not agree? Because the judge needs to know whether you're going to have a response because mm -hmm. you're allowed 10 days to respond to a motion. So the county doesn't contact me. They just filed this motion out of the blue. So that was strike number one. It's like, hmm. you know, you didn't follow the rules. You know, we're, we're paying this firm probably astronomical dollars out of Tampa. Uh, I think it was the same firm that Vanessa Baugh used for an ethics complaint to tie in another situation of ethics. But, um, you know, so um, when you look at the attorneys that they're using, they didn't even follow the correct rules. So then they send a uh, a letter, an email to maybe me. Maybe we, maybe because it seems to me we have a county attorney department. Maybe they could be involved in the process, and they would have seen it. You, you would think. I think they just kind of like you know we don't want to touch this. You know, right, it's been right. a mess. You know, so we'll just do. It. So, so you haven't hired an attorney that hasn't done the first step correctly. Correctly, yeah. And then they basically send me an email saying, by the way, we don't have to do that because it was just kind of like you know one of these like motions that was kind of like a formality type of thing. You know, it's like, no, it's a motion. It says 
we have two things. You have uh, the rules and then initial order that the judge actually issued to both parties saying, before you file a motion, make sure the other side gets a chance right. to respond. So they didn't do that. So has the judge ruled on that yet? No. Okay. I'm, I'm pins and needles waiting for a ruling. Um, so I, res- I, I, file a mo- I don't file a motion. I basically <laughs> I, I do a um, notice to the court that, hey, by the way, I didn't get notified by the county on this, but I will be filing a response. So I filed the response, including, you know, some of the information we talked about with the capping of the fees and also the who a non, right. not, non-prevailing not, party, not non-prevailing <laughs> party is, you know, that te- technically that would be the prevailing party. So I don't know if I would be able to recover all, the, all my costs from the county if I'm not the non-prevailing party. But anyhow, so I filed that motion, and so we'll see what the judge has to say. But I'm also asking the judge to bifurcate the um, action, the petition. So it gives you the option. A judge has the option to bifurcate the, the process if it saves time and expense. And so the, you mean by ruling on separate things? Yes. Okay. So I'm asking the judge to rule on the best interest of the public finding first, mm-hmm. because in the comprehensive plan amendment, it says the county Manatee County commissioners will make that finding. The way the petition process works, it goes to the administrative law judge. It has a recommended order. Then it goes to the administration commission, which is our governor and cabinet. Well, they can't really do a final order to replace the Manatee County commissioners. Only the Manatee County commissioners can make that finding. So I'm requesting the judge to bifurcate the process, do do a preliminary hearing on that alone to see if, in fact, that's true, and then whether the case should just go back to Manatee County Commissioners to do the proper finding before mm-hmm. we get into the expensive hearing on February 5th of having all the experts come in. Okay. So that, that's one of the other things I asked for because I think it's all, ex- since the county did the motion, right, it right. gives me the door to re- opportunity to respond and say, hey, you know, if the county is so concerned about expenses, how about doing something to reduce the expenses? Right. And, um, yeah, you know, so that's where we're kind of at with the process. Um, it's a very legal process. It's much like a regular court hearing where, you know, I'll be able to present experts um, to testify about why wetland buffers need to be there, why, you know, eliminating them is not in the best interest of the public. And then the county has their opportunity to say, you know, with their data analysis and experts, why removing the buffers is in the best interest of the public, which I can't see that happening. Now, you said the hearing, the first hearing has been scheduled for February 5th. Is that what you said? Yeah. And so in the meantime, uh, am I understanding correctly then that the uh, companion text amendment that was drafted and ready to go for the LDC that brings the land development code in line with the changes that have now been made in the comprehensive plan, and then, of course, any... uh, development plan uh revisals that any developer might bring forward to the board in the meantime hoping to um capitalize on that yes on on the changes that are coming or whatever does that kind of suspend everything at this point until this matter is decided yes you're correct don so basically it holds everything in abeyance so it's like the action didn't happen so the way the comprehensive plan petition process works once there is a petition challenging that comprehensive plan change, then that comprehensive plan change does not take effect until the final action of the administration commission. 
So you basically will have this hearing February 5th. Um, it's about a week-long hearing um, is what's scheduled. Then, it, then the administrative law judge gets to take in consideration what happened at that hearing. There's transcripts made, and then each party gets to do what they call a recommended order. So you, you don't have to do one, but it, there's an opportunity for you to submit a recommended order so many days after the transcript. And then the administrative law judge does their recommended order to the administration commission, who's the governor and the cabinet. Then the administration uh, commission gets to um, have what they call exceptions to the recommended order filed. So each party can give exceptions to the recommended orders. And, you know, so if I'm favorable at the um, rec with a recommended order, then the other side could say, yeah, that recommended order by the administrative law judge shouldn't be done because of this, this, and this. And then the administration commission will take those exceptions and then do whatever they want. So that's what I was going to ask. So the, the, the real sort of uh, <laughs> bottleneck in this process, bottleneck, uh, maybe not even a bottleneck, a, a damn, um, is that even best case scenario, the administrative law judge says, Mr. McClash, you nailed this. Uh, I agree with you a thousand percent. I recommend that, you know, the policy is completely thrown out and uh, goes back to the old one. Um, it still then is Carlos Baruf going to Ron DeSantis and his cabinet and saying, yeah, but. Yes. And that's, that's the danger of it all. That's why the cycle is not really fair for the public and for citizens is because you know, I've had it before, you know, with yes. Car uh, Carlos yes. Bruff issue where we challenged the permit that Swift Mud was giving for Pat Neal's project on Perico. We challenge it. The administrative law judge says, Joe, you know, and Suncoast Waterkeeper, Minnesota 88, Fish, you guys are all correct. You know, this this permit should not be issued. So then the permit had to go back to Swift Mud, which Carlos Bruff was the chairman at mm -hmm. the time. And they basically overturned the recommended order from an administrative law judge that had a whole week's worth of hearing just about. And at the time, Carlos Baruch was the chair. And then as soon as the motion, he, I think he made, might have stepped down and made the motion or somebody else, one of his friends made it. And as soon as that, He made the motion and then stepped down his chair immediately after. Right, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of like one of those weird, you know, situations. And, and then we found out that he was, you know, um, owning properties with Pat Neal that the permit was for, but you know nobody wanted to rule that he was in a business associate association with Pat. So, you know that was never um, one of the complaints uh, for the ethics commission to follow up on. But he did have another issue with his um, reporting when he was reporting his assets. But you know, but yes, so you could win with the administrative law judge and lose with the administration commission, and then you would have to appeal it. And then who does it go to an appeal then? Uh, probably some of those Republican appointed <laughs> <laughs> appellate judges that right. DeSantis just kind so, of But it would go to a normal appellate court then? Yes, it, okay. it would go to um, uh, the first district um, is typically where um, um, these, these appeals are heard. So now. the appellate court would be the first place in which a judge can say... A panel of judges would, would either agree would rule, or... Yeah. Right, and they could rule. And then at that point, we would have to go through the appellate process all the way to the state Supreme Court if right. the other party wanted yeah. to do it. But there's no non-judge after that that can take it off the table. Yeah, pretty much um, after the appellate 
process. First uh, district is um, usually the Tallahassee um, appellate court that hears it. So that's why it's really an unfair process. It's right. better to have elected officials that are in the office to do the right thing because yeah. all the time and expenses and the money and the risk factors that the public has to have, myself included, you know, to challenge something like this. And But, I, you know, I, I went back and forth and I didn't really file until like the last day because I was going back and forth, back and forth, you know, should I challenge, mm-hmm. should I not challenge, try to get other organizations to challenge and say, Joe, we can't risk our financial situation as a not-for-profit, so we're, we just can't do it. We support you, but we can't do it. So, you know, that's where I, I kind of looked at all the facts, and then the facts are really clear. The county did not have what was needed to amend their comp plan to get rid of these wetland protections, and they did it anyhow. And their charades as part of talking about takings and all this other stuff and comparing it to COVID science, and it was just a unbelievable 39 minutes that people should listen to these commissioners ranting about stuff that had nothing to do with really the the, the science of the wetland buffers or anything to to do with you know the best interests of the public and and after that it's like i i just got to file this petition i have to take the risk and um you know it's not something that i enjoy doing it's i've probably I think Don's counted. <laughs> she was surprised when she looked at these DOA hearings with my name on it, but there's probably five or six of them already. And about half of them I, I have either settled or won in front of an administrative law judge. I mean, some I settled with Longbow Key on Longbow Key Pass when they wanted to do the groins out there. I settled with Minto Corporation, one of the you know more positive experiences of, of filing a petition and having a corporation like Minto Development step up and say, hey, Joe, you're right. You know, what we're putting in here, you know, we're going to agree to put in a revetment, you know, instead of having just what equivalent was a seawall that was approved by Swift Mud at the time. Yeah, I, I was unaware of how much experience you have in this arena. And, you know, when I when I phoned you after I had spent a day. Uh, <laughs> so in the in the days prior or leading up to the deadline, I had heard from from different members of the community questioning me as to whether or not anybody had had attempted to challenge and I was giving people misinformation and telling them no to my (laughs) knowledge nobody has challenged this I I think it has something to do with with the legislation that you were speaking of that it's creating a hindrance and people are afraid to go up against it and but I did take the time and began calling some of the nonprofits that you have mentioned to ask around if if they had in fact and I was unaware or have you heard of anybody and and after many conversations and speaking to multiple different people I I ended up speaking to one source who told me you know I'm pretty sure Joe McClash filed something and I was like what so (laughs) I didn't tell me (laughs) so I go to the I go to the well first I call Mitch and ask him he's like I don't know so I go to the the Department of Administrative Law hearings and I, I put your name in the search and that's where I see this long list of, but then there is this one, and then that is the point at which, as you know, that right. I phoned you and went, Joe, what's going on, and yeah. why didn't you tell me about this? Yeah, well, and, and as you know, I, I try to keep a separation because I, I don't want to use my position as a publisher to be like, you know, hey, you guys got the story first. And then, even as a county commissioner, and I was a publisher of the Brains and Times, I always had an agreement at that time with the Braden uh, and Herald, Sarah's and Herald, and it's like, I'm not going to do anything without giving you an advanced copy mm-hmm. notice first. And that's right. the way it, what, 
work. Right, and you had told me on the phone yeah. that you had you had decided against yeah. putting out any press release, yeah. so you didn't tell anybody. And then my question, of course, was, okay, but isn't there potential legal ri- or, or financial risk in this? So then I said, just tell me that your wife knows that you've done this. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's one of those things that she trusts me, thank God, you know, but it, it's, it's one where... I think this is the single most issue that I've seen come across in past few months or even the past few years where it's brought the community together, Republicans, Democrats. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you go and, and watch the Republican meetings mm-hmm. and they're chastising commissioners for approving mm-hmm. these changes to the wetlands, Republicans, mm-hmm. you know, are holding the torch like myself. That's a Republican. It's like, it's not like I'm some commune, you know, right, right. Democrat that they, you know, the board of county commissions wants to label everybody as or some socialist. I mean, mm-hmm. there's right and wrong, no matter what party you are, if you don't have a party, you know, it, it, this is just something that is so wrong across the board, and, and I think the public uh, sees that. Yes, and I think the the clarity, if you will, on being able to see that comes so much more easily because of the lack of justification. Yeah, um, on the county's side of it, any real every you know the fact that it kind of morphed over time, what the quote unquote public purpose was, and that all of the answers we were given just led to more questions and confusion about that it doesn't... Yeah, this was probably the easiest for laymen in the public to get their head around yeah. and say, this is just wrong. bad theater. This, yeah. this, is not, this is cartoonish. Yeah. It is not something that they're even trying to really you know, sell us. They're just up there saying words. And right. one after another, we're, be, we're being confronted by people with PhD after their name in some yeah. cases, explaining very articulately how wrong they are. Uh, I, I, in my entire journalism career, have never encountered, I think you'd have to go to the Iraq war. It would be the only thing that I would say where I saw such theater, where it was, we're just going to say the things that don't make sense, but purport to support our position and we're going to completely ignore the mountain and the, the, the public chorus of response to that, that, that clearly points out that we're wrong. Uh, I, I think I'd have to go all the way back to 2003 yeah. to say that I've seen anything in my entire career that approaches the level of just blatant, blatant, corruption that was involved in and, this and, yeah. and this then action. because because we are manatee county you take all of that and the icing on the cake is you turn around and chastise the members of the public yes, for daring yes. to try to speak the truth yes, to you right. and, a 15, and call them names yeah. and put it on them i mean a 15 year old <laughs> i wouldn't call him a child because right. he has more intellect than a child. I mean, he's, right. he's maybe then half the he's, board. He's, because he's, well, <laughs> half 15, the collective board. But, I mean, but when you chast when you chastise somebody like that, for people don't understand how hard it is to speak in front of a yes. body and to not have that respect as a yeah. county commission board. That just blows my mind because you don't have a respect to a fifteen year old that comes in front of you with a prepared PowerPoint presentation that not only 
he did himself, but he also collaborated with other people his age. This is the young generation that we mm -hmm. need to it's capture. exactly what we yeah. want to encourage. Yeah. And, and yeah. maybe you should be listening because maybe they're right. You know, don't screw up our environment. And, and he showed pictures of dead turtles and stuff like that. And, and I got to tell you, there's more dead stuff now I see than I've ever seen in my whole time living in Manatee County since I was like 12, I mean, 50 years or so now. But you know, when, when you have to attack people, um, you know, you're winning, right? right? I mean, right, you've seen right. that before yes, with absolutely. a war of words, you when know, you go after like, character yeah. rather than content. Yeah. I absolutely. mean, I'm, I'm a, I like true debating. I like facts. You give me your facts. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll present my facts and hopefully we could have a, a good, strong debate, not this name calling. Stuff. Well, and that, again, though, that points to what you're saying is that there, there so clearly isn't another side to this debate, right? They're just, Look, I love as as a you know as a journalist. One of the things that I do to myself is straw man arguments right. all the time. You have to, um, absolutely. So I like the exercise of trying to get into the opposing side and and seeing you know almost taking an attorney's right. uh, uh, view of it. But I can't on this. Like right. it's it. Nobody can. That's the problem. Is that there there is no exercise here. You you have to get down to such empty rhetoric as yeah. we're taking private property, yeah. even though the court said that we're not. And right. even though setbacks and all kinds of other things, you know, would technically be that, you know, you know, you have to get into the nonsensical. And then when, when nonsensical doesn't work in a debate, cause it never does, then you have to get into attacks and then you have to shut people down right. through, through the, the, the imposing your power on them, uh, which is really what happened there. Through uh, a written speech. Yes. Yeah. Which, which obviously came in at the start of that meeting already with that speech in hand yeah. that Mr. Van Hostenberg yes. And I, I tried to get the public record of that, and he won't give me the actual you uh, don't original say. copy. You, you know, don't it just came say. from his assistant. Yeah. Yeah. You so, can see him reading yeah, something. I mean, and so he read something, but he won't give me the you know where the mm -hmm. original document came from. And that from, is a know? part of the public record once right. you read it in a public meeting. It's, it, but but I mean, this is Manatee County where yeah. we don't follow public record laws. But what's also really insulting to me is that you hire – on the county's interest to, you know, this is supposed to be something where you hire people to protect the county's interest. You hire the person that pretty much represented the failures of the developer to get his way in changing these wetland buffers to mm -hmm. be taking. And in one of those hearings, your own attorneys, your own county attorney's office argued to have him removed as a witness, as an expert witness yeah. saying that because he had no credibility. Because yeah. he's not an expert. Yeah. Plus, on this, yeah, on it, wetlands. And, and, it, and it was never pointed out during that process by anybody internally. Now, let me ask you another question. When they said, um, you know, that you're supposed to meet and, and the county said, oh, not this week, what would that have looked like? Would you have just met with the Tampa attorneys? Would you have met with county staff? Um, it would probably be a combination, I think, of the, the county attorney and the, the hired county attorney, this Robinson mm -hmm. group out of Tampa. Um, I don't know if county staff would be in that type of situation yet, but, um, one of my first things I did, you know, we have discovery. So you're allowed to have discovery just like a regular lawsuit. So mm -hmm. I filed for discovery. Uh, first thing I did was, you know, I, you know, they have basically, you know, answers that you could basically ask people to admit or deny, you know, so admit that, you know, that doesn't say that it's in the best interest of the public anywhere in these do documents and findings of facts. You know, and then the other thing you're allowed to do is ask for depositions. So I asked for depositions of the county commissioners. And so, you know, the email I got from the uh, attorney, this Robinson guy, 
he basically said, uh, we're not going to let you, uh, uh, you know, depose any of our county commissioners. They're not relevant to this issue. Why? And it's like, how can you say they're not relevant they, to they the issue? They actually empowered the yeah. statute, right? Yeah, I mean, they are the, the only ones that buy the uh, comprehensive plan that can make a finding that it's in the best interest of the Manatee County. So if you can't depose the county commissioners, I mean, what else can you do to kind of get their facts about how this is in the best interest of Manatee County? So those are, and, and their understanding of the vote that they cast, right. ultimately. So the the issue. So they basically said, "Oh, you just could go back and look at the videos and the records, and you know, have all that information." But you know, it kind of shows you the stonewall in that yeah. it's going to take place. So, so is this a so is this a confirmed no by the administrative the, law judge, no, or just a no from the county? Just a no from the county. Okay. So. Again, you know, since the county filed their motion about these attorney fees, I use that as a, a reason to request, you know, this bifurcation for deciding whether we could just proceed with the best interest of, you know, the in, best interest of the county is finding a fact first. And in that, I need to have the county commissioners deposed. Ah, and I also included the letter from this attorney that happened to send the letter before. If nothing I else, I think response. that would be hilarious. <laughs> I would love to to read those uh, uh, transcripts. Yes, yeah. yes. We could, we could we could start a GoFundMe just to pay for the transcriptions. <laughs> uh, uh, we will need to have somebody pay for them besides myself. I mean, I'm going to be asking for donations um, for for helping um, cover the cost of, of this because it's not right for me to bear the cost of something that's so much in the public's interest. But I, I'll I pay for Jason Bearden's transcripts on my own. <laughs> out of pocket. So, so there's, there's kind of a two-part question that comes to mind throughout this discussion and listening to everything that you're explaining here. One, am I understanding correctly that earlier on you had said that an administrative hearing is not a process which you would use, and not you specifically or anyone, in order to challenge an LDC text amendment. Correct. That's That would be kind of a more of a writ of certiorari, I believe, or a declaratory judgment um, that you would be seeking. But um, I think there's a specific provision in the statutes that talk about challenging development orders. So the one thing that I do recall hearing in the public hearings when all of this was being discussed, and I wish I could remember which commissioner said it, but I, I, I don't recall, and I'm sure it's something someone informed them that they could say or in a position they could argue. But at one point it was stated, well, this stuff shouldn't really be in the in, comp plan yeah. anyhow. That was Amanda Ballard. Was it Amanda Ballard? Okay. And and she was asking, it was a question right. asked of staff yeah. or Delisi or whoever it was asked of. Um, so listening to everything that you're saying, it occurs to me where it hadn't prior that perhaps one of the reasons you would, or a county would specify in its comprehensive plan in chapter seven for environmental and resource what is it environmental historical resource preservation to add could this be like kind of shoring up what it is wanted to be included in the LDC so that it wasn't simply a simple matter of changing LDC through a text amendment but would require a more in-depth process to change also the comp plan so that it wouldn't be so easy in the future for somebody to come along and say, you know what, we'd really like no regulations around our wetlands. Can we get that? So the bottom line is you could delegate everything to the state, which is what the county did. 
So the county pretty much through this comp plan amendment delegated everything to the state. Right, and I understand that. land development code, usually, I always talk about the comprehensive plan being kind of like the umbrella, and then Mm -hmm. the land development code is underneath the umbrella. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't say it in the comp plan, you probably don't have justification for it to be in the land development code. Precisely. And so she was saying that, oh, it doesn't matter if we change the comp plan because we still have our land development code. Mm-hmm. Well, you really don't have a land development code consistent with the comp plan, so somebody could challenge you that your comp plan. Well, you know, and I've needs to be and consistent. I've seen I've seen the drafted or recommended drafted versions of what yeah. how the land development code is going to change, and they're the intention or suggestion or whatever pipe dream somebody has out there is to add a sentence to the section of coastal management or whatever it's that title is um to add a line 10 i think exemption and that exemption essentially reads and of course this isn't verbatim but it's it's like an ultimate exception to all things of the rules and under this section is that if the state doesn't require it of you nor do we yeah, and that's where <laughs> and that's where the state wants to go. To be honest, too, that's the scary part. So you may win the. You that, know, that, that's what I was just yeah. going to say is so, that the, yeah. the other nightmare yeah. scenario is you win all the way, yeah, and then legislatively they cure it by just passing a, a new statute yeah. that and, and prohibits that, counties from. Yeah, and the state has been doing this to a great extent on whether it's you know. Um, um, Local governments wanting to regulate the, you know, the cottage industry for Airbnb, Verbos, you know. Right. So they, um, vacation rentals, I mean, so they put a squash on that. And the same thing here. So I may win all the way up to the administration commission. The administration commission, you know, the governor cabinet, you know, might be a day out of Christmas you know, story, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things that they could say, yeah, we agree with administrative law judge. You know, the County shouldn't have done what they did. And then all of a sudden the state passes some type of statute that says, Hey, by the way, you know, counties can't do anything more than what, you know, state permits. So yeah. And they, apparently one of the very few things that cannot get you labeled as a rhino or a communist is being a Republican who supports getting rid of home rule and delegating to big government. Yeah. <laughs> that well, used to be something that was kind of a litmus test, wasn't it, Joe? Yeah, it was. I mean, that was like, uh, do you support home rule? Right. I mean, you know, if smaller, not, you, you don't put an R next yeah, to your name. Smaller government was better, right? right? I mean, the government closest to the people should be making these decisions. Yes. And we see it like with Will Robinson. He's like, you know, doing this parking garage nonsense and Jim Boyd. And I'm like shocked. And it's like, you guys are like from here, you know, your families are generational here and you want to just screw the local cities over of their power because of a parking garage situation that doesn't make sense because the county commission says you you didn't, you know, Holmes Beach, you know, took away X number of parking places, which, you know, the figures pretty much are there that Holmes Beach didn't take away as many as what the county's claiming. And the garage isn't going to provide as many yeah. as they promised. Yeah, and then you have to pay for the parking right. garage of $15 a head or something. It's not free, people. It's not like parking on the beach, you know, that you could do for free now. And then the county has plenty of room at Coquina where they have ample space Massive to hold. parking. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, it's like, come on. And then you have a trolley that goes up and down the whole beach every supposedly 20 minutes. That's, turn. That's, so another, that, that's another part of that debate around the parking that you mentioned coquina beach because my understanding is at the time at which this war was really kind of heating up and and mr van austin bridge was you know 
particularly animated over it and had marched his butt down to the Holmes Beach, uh, would it be commission yeah, meeting to, to right. threaten them and whatever. Threaten. He did threaten That him. period of time um, was, was prior to the parking garage discussion or this legislation. However, my understanding is there was parking lot renovations being done down by Coquina, oh, yeah. which the county had... Did out with one contractor who messed it up or yep. didn't finish it or took off, yep. which delayed that whole project. So yep. it, per the county's own errors of its own, yeah, so it, took away hundreds of parking yeah. spaces. For, for I think while the commissioner's screaming about not yeah. enough parking on the on the island. I think it was four years, and I think uh, <laughs> they had to bring in Woodruff to to um, finally finished the that, project that's always been amazing and from what i understand they took away a few hundred parking spaces yeah. from doing their own renovation so and, and you know but that's the real concern is that the state government is trying to mandate things on local governments yeah. that they shouldn't be locating and if we're really truly going to be a democracy and we're really going to put people in office, they should do what they say. And when you have people run for office and Robinson ran for this, Boyd ran for it. I mean, they basically, smaller government's better, government look closer to people's better. We don't want to make the decisions at the state. You make it locally. And then they get up there and, and for years, they've been just flipping it. You know, yep. state, state knows better. You shouldn't be doing that. And I really think it begs maybe for a constitutional amendment saying, you know, thou shall not screw with the local right, governments right. anymore. You know, it's like, you Can know. Can we get that the, into our comp plan, please? Yeah. Well, you know, and <laughs> because you, it's important. I mean, if the, if the county wants to have something more stringent right. than the state, then the county should have something more. If a city yes. wants it more stringent than the state, who is the state to regulate a local government? Right. And when you think about it, the state of Florida, when it was formed, we probably had less people in the state of Florida than you do probably in, in what? you know, city of Bradenton or, or Manatee County right. at this point. I mean, so we have counties that are equivalent in size to what the whole state was when we became a state. So maybe we should reinvent government a little bit. Why are we having this absurd government? Well, I think it's transparent in that if you're a special interest, yeah, you it's can, just so much easier to control Tallahassee right. because look, as you see from this issue in the community, local People will show up with the pitchforks right. saying, hey, we don't want you messing with this. But Tallahassee is still, especially with this, you know, 60 day, you know, yeah. marathon speed, marathon sprint session and special sessions, special <laughs> sessions. It's much, much harder for people to keep, get their head around, right. to keep up with because the, the bills just, it's an onslaught yeah. of bills and a race to get them across the finish line. And it's so much harder for them to get in touch with their, uh, uh, representatives during that period of time and have any kind of influence on them because, hey, we're in session. We can't really talk right now. And this thing just happens. And so if you're a special interest, you're going to say, oh, oh, let's get everything to the state because those guys, write them a check. They'll get it done. Locally, it's a little bit harder because the people get a little bit more upset. Yeah, and we've seen it, the demise of our environmental regulations underneath Governor Scott. I mean, he basically was a, a denial that, you know, sea level was rising. I don't care who's to blame, you know, whether it's us or whether it's just natural phenomena. 
I mean, sea level is rising. And if no you don't, question. If you don't prepare for that as a coastal state, you're going to screw over all your residents here in the future. I mean, there, there'll be a game-changing situation. In and your businesses that yeah. drive your economy yeah. as well. I mean, just because you're in a good position today in Florida doesn't mean that you're going to be in a good position 50 years from now if all your coastal communities are underneath a foot of water every single day from a high tide. Now, speaking, that's, that's a great uh, segue into this next part where – Speaking of coastal communities, we and the intent of some of these uh, machinations that we've seen at the local level, we got a little preview this week of what our favorite local developer is aiming to do with his most controversial property to date, formerly Longbar Point, now Aqua by the Bay. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you saw in that permit. Yeah, and you got to remember that this project started out where it was going to be rubber stamped and approved. Yeah. And then there was a tropical storm, I believe, that delayed the hearing. And then when we had the next hearing, everybody knew about it because they really didn't give us a heads up that we had probably the largest amount of people ever attend a county commission meeting, so big that we had to have it at the Civic Center. And I think it lasted two, if not three days. Yeah. It was, I think we got done two o'clock two in days. the morning, yeah. Yeah. if I could recall, because mm -hmm. I stayed for the marathon session. So there was a lot of concern. And rightfully, the, the board, um, I believe at that time, scaled it back or just deferred it. And then it was finally approved um, a few years ago in a somewhat conceptual version. Right. That, that um, did appear to be less intense development. Yeah. And so um, there was all sorts of things that are included in the first one. That a was marina, marina, dredging, you know, marina. dredging, right, right. dredging through these, you know, uh, seagrass beds. So, I mean, a lot of concern. So now, you know, um, you know, where we are today, about a week ago, uh, you know, uh, the developer for Lombard Point now called Aqua, submitted a permit to Swift Mud, and what they want to do is have a wall called a Gabion wall, and you can look up that, but it's some type of rock wall is, is what it um, amounts to, um, right on the wetland's edge because they're saying that it's better to have a wall just upland of the wetland than to have the 50-foot buffers or 30-foot buffers or the 25-foot average buffer that Swift Mud has. So here you have where the county commission just within, what, two months ago, October 5th, I believe was the date, um, approved this comprehensive plan amendment to delegate to the state underneath the impression that almost every commissioner said, hey, we're still going to have that 15-foot minimum and 25-foot average buffer, so why do we need this 30-foot buffers, uh, 5-foot? What's, what's the difference between 5 feet? And so now... You know, within about two months, you have a developer that has not only made that so false, he's actually putting a wall almost right on the wetland line so you don't have a buffer. And then make it even more painful, he's calling for a 15-foot setback to an 18-story building from the wetland. So you have the wetland, used to have the 50-foot buffer, now you have no buffer, and now you're going to have a building within 15 feet that's up 18 stories, and that's probably above parking, so figure the height on that, maybe 200 feet. Probably the largest buildings in the whole county. I'm not even sure if it could be legal underneath the FAA because that's a flight path going into Sarasota Airport there. But, you know, that's where we're at today. So It really, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is a phrase we've heard through the perils of flood hearings, and then again from Mr. DeLisi, 
and that is alternative engineering solutions. Yeah, it's the engineering solutions that are going to be replacing a buffer. So, so some of the nonsensical stuff that's in the environmental report is like, well, you know, we got these people that do things that they shouldn't be doing in a buffer. So we put a wall there and, and right along the wetland. And so that's doing more to protect the wetlands than if you had this 50-foot buffer that some people could maybe do something inside of. What, right, because they can't mow now. They can't. Yeah, I was yeah, reading. Yeah, but the, these aren't <laughs> the backyards of houses. This right. is a this is a mm-hmm. planned development. You have homeowners associations. You have common areas. So all mm-hmm. the buffers would be common areas with signs saying, you know, yeah, you could walk your dog possibly in there, or you know, but maybe if you if if that was allowed. But um, you know, the plantings there would be you know uh, type of plantings that you would expect in a wetland buffer to help the wetland buffer do its job. But, you know, this is, this is just kind of un, unbelievable that anybody could say an engineering solution can replace a buffer. Because, again, buffers are not only about water quality. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times people focus on, well, we need the buffer because it helps reduce all these pollutants going into the coastal waters, which is true. You know, there's a lot of the design for stormwater systems are based on the first three-quarter inch of rainfall and for a normal 25-year storm, which we probably have several hundred-year storms in a year now instead of, you know, once every 25 years, these storms. So, but there's, there's limitations. And as we know, when we get these severe downfall, downfalls from thunderstorms, it exceeds the stormwater systems and water does what we call sheet flow. It basically goes outside of those systems, goes over the land and into the water body. So and picking up everything along yeah, the way. Yeah. I mean, so it's good to have a buffer in those type of situations, but also the habitat. So wetlands provide an enormous amount of coastal habitat for the birds and all this other uh, wildlife. And in a lot of these species require probably 100, 200 feet of buffer so that they could have a nest or something like that, or they could have a habitat. And so when you have no buffer, then you eliminate the ability for that habitat to be there. And Florida's ecosystem is so intricate that it's really like a Jenga yeah. game it, when you start pulling blocks out, right? But, but another one that's not even discussed is sea level rise. I mean, we've had sea level rise of several, it's more than six inches in five years. I think um, it's six inches now in 20 years, if I could recall the data. So when I look at the data Going back about 15 years ago, when I first looked at sea level rise, it was six inches over 50 years. And I believe it's now six inches over either 20 years or 30 years. So it's going up faster. So if you don't have a buffer, sea level rises. Right. And the mangroves can't survive in the habitat anymore unless they adapt. And 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 by adapting... So if you have a slope, up shore. Yeah, so yeah. if you have a sloping buffer, which you mm-hmm, would mm-hmm. have, then the mangroves would continuously walk up the shore mm-hmm. and you would have mangroves in the future. But when you have a wall, guess what? You have no mangroves. <laughs> they, they don't climb, they walk. Yeah, so the whole area we used to call the kitchen will no longer be a kitchen. It'll be a dumping ground for a development and it'll look so sterile and then you lose your sea life, you lose your commercial fishermen. It's, you know, livelihoods, you know, whether it's a charter fisherman or people doing the mullet runs, whatever it is. I mean, the estuaries, I believe the statistics are like 80% of sea life starts out in starts the estuary. Out, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's enormous. So just take away all those mangroves. 
And that shoreline along Sarasota Bay is the most productive and, and important shorelines we have. So After a tremendous amount of work has gone into sure. restoring them yeah. over decades. Uh, decades and also the fact that you, you can have one project destroy something that's been natural for so long just to help somebody build an 18-story condo because he doesn't have enough money. I don't know. You know, but the, the, the issue that you have is that, you know, without having this buffer, you know, not, you have water quality issues, habitat issues, and then you also have the adaptation for sea level rise. And you don't see a whole lot of people discussing sea level rise in these permits, but you should be really discussing it because without a mangrove fringe right there, you have more wave action, you have more destruction of the environment. Um, it, it just could um, be the downfall of our whole Cortez seafood industry. Some of what you've shared about uh, this permit application and these changes uh, reminds me and to what Mitch had said about the uh, engineering solutions. The first time that the peril of flood came before the board, it originally came before the board. The staff, I guess, was proposing that it should be allowed to allow for infill and seawalls, right. uh, which did not ultimately, uh, I think it was Commissioner Cruz who actually pulled, pulled the fill mm-hmm. in the seawall language out before it was sent, uh, transmitted to the state. But then after coming back from the state, oddly, at that point before adopt- the adoption hearing, there was a request from a land development attorney, I think it was Vogler, yeah, it was Vogler. to please add in this little tweak on language about an engineering solution. And that's always stood out to me because it's never been defined what exactly an engineering solution is. And what you're discussing here is a a gabion wall, not a seawall. And that was one of the other arguments we were hearing during that, that first hearing the debate around seawalls and fill was, well, it couldn't possibly be a seawall because this, you know, that's regulated on the state level or the federal level. And so you can't build a new seawall. You can only repair existing seawalls. Um, but if it's on the uplands, it's not really technically a seawall. Right. Well, and, and then further, it struck me during the wetland text amendments that, again, we're hearing these terms about engineering solutions without a clear definition right. of what does that mean. And if I recall, and you would probably know certainly better than me on this, if I recall during the peril of flood uh, hearing, some of the environmental groups were striking concern on the addition of this engineering solution language because it was so vague that it could be perhaps a, a unintentional or not, set up to give room for legal challenge down the road to argue that something that would have not otherwise previously been allowed, now it can be allowed because it's a little bit different. We've never quite done it this way before. So therefore, we have now come with an engineering solution. Yeah, and that's the best thing for a developer is to give something that's open-ended. So part of the petition goes to that point, Don, where it doesn't... um, um, it basically challenges the comprehensive plan amendment because it didn't define what an engineering solution is because that's mm-hmm. one of, I think, chapter four or whatever where it was located. But they don't don't define engineering solution. Right. It just says that, you know, instead of having this 50-foot buffer, you could have, you know, enge- engineering solution. Well, what does that look like? What, does, what data and analysis did the county do to mm-hmm. put that 
the engineering solution in there to replace a 50-foot buffer. So without data analysis, they shouldn't really be doing that. Mm -hmm. A data analysis would and define that. I'm having difficulty visualizing a Gabian wall supporting the kind of elevation that we're talking about that's then going to be covered. Uh, uh, you're elevating, and then you're building 18 stories. If it's not really a Gabian wall, you're saying that because it's upland, then it's technically not a seawall as well. But it acts like a seawall every time we have a tropical storm. Right. Yeah. But but to, to your point, would it be regulated or not as a seawall? But Well, I, I think when you have the ability... I mean, do you agree, first yeah. of all, that... And again, just help me if I'm ignorant to this, that a Gabian wall seems suspect for the use that we're talking about. Oh, yeah. I think it's just a seawall described okay. as a Gabian wall because basically anything that sea water, you know, hits is a seawall. And so over this last two years we would have had at least three storms where that wall would have been impacted by wave action and the sea level rise to where that would not be just an upland wall. It would have been a seawall protecting that shoreline from eroding. The worst case scenario is that you basically have a blowout in that wall because it's not structurally enough. Right. And then you do have more impacts to your wetlands. So that's another thing that, when you don't see an engineering diagram of what this Gabion wall is. And that's, what's interesting with the swift mud permit. I'm looking at the plans and it's like, all right, where's the page where the design for the Gabion walls. I mean, I don't see a Gabion wall design. There was no Gabion wall, you know, engineering design. Mm -hmm. There was, there was swell designs, how you're going to treat the water and the runoffs and the curb designs for the roads. And then the, the most intense thing that you're right. building There's does nothing. not have an engineering design saying here's the ground level you know here's the wetland here's the gabion wall here's and i don't know if we mentioned it yet we learned that there's a partial wall already there that yeah. we weren't aware of yeah i mean and, and that wall at least is upland of the wetlands i mean it's upland by about 50 feet i didn't go out there and measure it there's i looked into county's plans and the county's county's plans that they approve are interesting because they don't call it a wetland buffer they call it some type of environmental buffer but they don't call it a wetland buffer in the adopted plan, which is kind of strange. Curious, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure why they didn't call it a wetland buffer. I'm going to have to find And so why. just to clarify for listeners, the, the permit, the swift mud permit that we're referencing and discussing here is a, a pre-app or an application. It's, it's an not application. An, not an issued permit. It's not an point. issued permit, but basically, you know, the developer. It's a tip of the hand yeah. on what they're going for. So yeah. basically what ha the process is for Swift Mud. I mean, uh, the applicant applies for a permit and then notification is sent out if people want to be on a notification list. I just don't happen to have been on the notification list, I think, ever since I was county commissioner. And I continue to be on that list today. So anything that is permitted f through Swift Mud for certain criteria, I get a notice and and I click on the links, you know, because it doesn't say, oh, by the way, this is this project. Right. You have to actually right. click on the link and I, I click on the link and it's like, really, right before <laughs> Christmas again, because I, if I could recall, it was a very similar situation yeah, years ago, yeah. right, right before Christmas mm -hmm. where a permit was applied for. And it's like, you know, we're watching, you know, it's not like it's going to slip through the cracks. And, you know, this is the first step of, really major impact to our environment. I mean, initially, you know, the marina was there, lagoons and canal systems, that got pulled back, but there's nothing that prevents that from being requested. Actually, the conceptual permit that was approved by SWIFTMUD for the whole project included the 
what they call the Lima, the Lagoon Enhancement Mitigation Area. <laughs> the, you know, that's their engineering solution, right. I guess. So, you know, because I had to figure out what the Lima acronym stood for again. But it's very specific in Swift Mud's permit that the applicant that the approval does not include anything to do with that uh, dredging or filling or walls or anything for boating related activities. So, you know, conceptual permits are important because they set the groundwork for what you could approve in the future. And so this is a modification that I understand yes. is being applied for for that conceptual permit. So you, you kind of um, have the information that now needs to be proven why you don't have the impacts to the wetlands from this wall and not have a buffer instead of the wall. So, and you know, the, you know, back to the county's um, 30 foot and 50 foot buffers and duplication. I meant to bring this up earlier. The beauty of having the 30 and 50 foot buffers is actually creates less hardships on a developer. You just have to draw the line 50, 50 feet away from the buffers, 30 feet away from the buffers, whatever type of wetlands you're protecting. That's it. And then swift mud doesn't require you to prove secondary impacts is what the permit requirements are for secondary impacts for the buffer. So without that buffer of being 25 foot average, now you have to prove to Swift Mud why there's not secondary impact. So it actually causes more work for the developer mm -hmm. than just drawing a silly 50 foot line or 30 foot line, whatever it can be. I mean, if, if I was the developer in this case, I think I would have just at least drew the 25 foot line. You know, because then you would at least not be having to prove the secondary. It seems impacts. almost like there's a brazenness to it. Of you think? <laughs> no, like, like to me, some of it doesn't seem to like warrant the amount of headache and work that's going into it in terms of how many more units you're going to get or anything like that. You're also not getting a better looking product, in my opinion. Right. So some of it just seems to be almost like thumb in the eye. Sometimes. Yeah, it would almost have to seem that way. It's a power trip for somebody to say, I could do this. And, you know, uh, government shouldn't. I think it's really that government shouldn't tell me what to do. Um, and, you, and you have to put it in the context that the existing rules that were in place allowed this particular developer to probably make tens of millions of dollars more money than the average person will ever make in their lifetime. Right. And my question is always, Mr. Scrooge, um, is there a chance that your heart will turn warm because you've made so much money and out actually, of the according existing to his, rules? According to uh, Senate race disclosures, it was really hundreds of millions, but go ahead. Yeah, um, you know, I, but it's more money than the average person sure. could have even expected to make, especially when, you know, you, you know to... You know, his credit, he brought himself from a bankrupt situation to where mm -hmm. he is today. So, I mean, he, he's really a good business person from the standpoint of making money. And my only real disappointment is that when people make so much money off the existing rules, I question their motives of yeah, why do you yeah. want to destroy the government that helped make you the person you are today? Right. And we live in such a great society. We live in such a great community. And we have such an engaged community. You know, Republicans, Democrats come together on 
issues like this of wetland protection and coastal habitat protection because guess what those rich people fish on these waters mm-hmm. probably more so than i don't know anybody who lives know, in manatee yeah. county that a primary driving factor isn't the beautiful yeah. environment and so why would you risk anything that would screw that up and so that's what brings people together on this and so you as a county commissioner you know you county commissioners that supported changing these comprehensive plan protections for our wetlands based on the fact that you thought there was going to be this minimum, you know, 15 foot and average 25 foot buffer. Now you find out that's all a lie. Will you change your vote? I mean, there's no, there's still the opportunity for the County commissioners to settle this case, you know, on the wetland challenge by just saying we stip, they basically just could just, not even stipulate, they could, stip, you know, stipulate or they could just withdraw their, you know, um, amendment, you know, and, and just rescind their action. I did, I requested that of the county commissioners shortly after they approved it. So I please rescind your action for the following reasons. And that was also another hope that they would do that, not having to file a petition. But, you know, if you were a county commissioner and somebody said to you that, yeah, you're going to have these protections anyhow, so you don't really need this, even if you don't consider duplicate, you know, a duplication, you know, but, you know, here you have the first horse out of the gate and you don't have any wetland protection. And then I remember, I think it was Commissioner Ron saying, this will not impact any wetlands. Well, I mean, they're asking for over three acres of wetland impacts just so they could make a straight line instead of going around the wetland. So you've been duped as county commissioners. Um, well, willingly duped, I would argue. Joe, yeah. can I ask, you had mentioned uh, seeing in the, I think you said it was in the environmental report or elsewhere in the packet for this application, the reference to the 18 story, to, to the right. increase of the height. Now that sort of um, general development plan, those sorts of changes or whatever, they would have to submit a, re- a revised general development plan to the county commission for Correct. approval of those sorts of changes. What was the previous plan? What was the height that was approved? I believe the height of the previous plan was, was I want to say somewhere around 130-ish. Um, I think it was like 10 stories, right? Yeah. I thought it was like 11 stories. Yeah, because that yeah. was a compromise, if, if I recall. Yeah, I think they brought it down yes. from the maximum. Yes. And, and that was based on the so compatibility eight, So argument. 18 stories, assuming this continues going forward and, and that is the the ultimate vision for uh, those those structures there, that that's a significant well, I'm, I'm smi- alteration. People can't see me height. smiling because what happens after the county commissioners approve the plan is that it goes to staff and staff grants administrative approval as long as they feel it's kind of like not totally inconsistent with what the county commissioners approved. Okay. I would argue that it needs to go back in front of the county commissioners. But, so you're saying it may not have to for, for changes such it, as that. It's a staff. Yes, that was another change. Yeah, yeah it was. A, it's a staff-driven approval process as long as it's fairly consistent with the approval of the public hearing that resulted in this general development plan, I believe is what it was. So that would be a good question to ask, you know, Nicole Knapp, you know, I believe is the person now ahead of the planning department that... Um, She's the director of yeah. development services. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, you know, th- that would be a good question for her. So I believe Denise Greer is the uh, deputy director of that department and the head of planning. So uh, I would I would present maybe the plans that, um, 
you know, the applicant has to Swift Mud and present them to the county. And it's like, will this meet the criteria of having to go back in front of the county commissioners? My personal opinion is that yes, because we had height restrictions, we had uh, building prototype designs, if you could recall. Yeah. yeah. But if, if you also see what's taken place out there, it's, it's usually less dense than what was initially approved by the county commissioners to begin with so far. We've had a mm. mixture of townhomes and some apartment complexes. Like condos, um, yeah. I don't believe there's really any houses, single-family houses. I think there are more townhouses. And there was actually one parcel um, that um, the developer actually changed from a condo, a uh, taller condo, to a townhouse, mm. um, a, I believe on that because I saw some back and forth between staff on their um, program on their comments. So, you know, the difficult decision would be since there's less density, less impact here and more impact there is the average still about the same that they could do administratively. Again, I would say no, but it's scary because, you have something that is totally inconsistent with what the county commissioners originally approved. And that was a big sticking point because that was one of the most powerful community arguments right. was this height yeah. is going to completely destroy this vista right. of one of the most beautiful parts of the Bayfront. And even just from like a boating perspective, if you don't live there, it is changing drastically with this completely incompatible wall basically that blocks off everything that you see yeah. and that was an enormous sticking point where the current board basically said you know we're proud of earning this concession so to speak and we're bringing the height to a much right. more compatible standpoint so that was like a uh that was almost like a deal of yeah it a was condition a, really it was a major concession yeah. and then also there is so to just give that back administratively would be yeah and there's specific conditions on not having that wall effect, but that's a, you know, is, is the person ugly or is it or right, is the person right. beautiful? You know, who, who gets to decide whether what, it's in a wall? Whether it's a wall yeah, effect, I right. mean, that's the thing. It's not really a defined thing. To me, if, if you look in a whole series of buildings and it looks like a wall, then it's a wall. But, you know, if you have one little space in between, maybe it's it's not a wall to somebody. Right. So, you know, it, it's um, important, I think, for the county staff to support the community's intentions that were brought forward in the county commissioners at the time. And uh, I remember Commissioner uh, Betsy Benack, she was pretty adamant to follow the comp plan and the land development code. And I believe there was specific uh, discussion on buffers and what those buffers would look like. And so to not have a buffer, um, but um, now you have this engineering solution that could replace a buffer. So does that meet the intent of what could be okay? Um, Again, it's, it's, it's one where when you look at the community's interest in this project and how it doesn't support the intensity, the lack of wetland buffers, impacts to Sarasota Bay, et cetera, um, commissioners really should be careful what they allow to go forward, even though they may have the power with four votes to do whatever they want to do. You know, I just go back to the point that, I mean, I was at the public hearing and listening to commissioner's comments and they basically gave us assurances to, uh, to the public at that point. Yeah, we're doing this, but we're still going to have these protections that are similar to what we have in the comp plan now. Well, we know that's not true with the first development proposed or the first permit proposed to Swift Mud that actually destroys any wetland buffers. You know, it's zero, not 
not 25. You know, so if I was county commissioner, I think I would be at least asking for staff to come back with this. My Christmas wish would be, you know, for the county commissioners to do the right thing and just make this amendment, you know, uh, be rescinded and go back to the drawing board. There's already public hearings going or public meetings taking place or public comments about the comp plan now and do what the public wants. It's not the county commissioner's comp plan. It's the community's comp plan. You know, they're supposed to be our stewards. They're supposed to be the trustees. They're not supposed to make things worse for us. Well, they're acting like it's the developer's comp plan <laughs> and that they're, they're a surrogate of the developers. Yeah, and I, th I think people have had enough of the development Stuff. I mean, when you look at our roads, they're clogged up. They're congested. Yeah, you used There's to be able to. I remember about five years ago, ten years ago, you can still get a lot of people on board with the idea that, look, development drives our economy. You slow this down, the whole thing goes away. Um, that argument now does not carry weight because yeah. people are looking and saying, yeah, but tourism drives our economy and you're ruining the community. And who's going to want to come and stay with what you're doing to it? And, and one of the principles that we had years ago with, I believe it was called the Imagine Manatee um, uh, process, where we actually created a document and we brought all community people yes, together. Yes, I remember that. It was and, Imagine Manatee. Yeah, and, and, and what was important about that was that we didn't want this urban sprawl. Mm -hmm. And the reason you don't want that sprawl, you don't want to give those developers development rights over the urban development line boundary because you increase the cost of services, mm -hmm. increase the cost of water delivery, services of Law sheriffs, you know, EMS, yeah. you, you name it, fire department. So it also hurts the downtown areas. And that's why if I was a downtown mayor, I'd be screaming, stop approving all that stuff. If you don't approve it, yeah, people still want to come to Florida. Let them come to our downtowns and revitalize mm -hmm. our downtowns and rebuild our downtowns and mm -hmm. buy the houses and renovate them yep. or make that you know block of single-family homes a multi-story project and accommodate the new growth internally. And then you have the walkability to your mm -hmm. you know, village of the arts. You have your walkability to your mass transit. You don't have to increase this cost of services. Imagine being so remote that you can't get an ambulance for 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, 20 minutes. Long time when you're not breathing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just insane that you would do that. And so this whole discussion about growth, but I mean, our roads are just so congested. Yeah, I think people are finally feeling what we warned about for a long time, which is you will be devalued. You'll just, it, it may just be quality of life. Yeah. And I think people are now feeling an enormous devaluation in their quality of life from, you know, the, the, uh, dead sea life and, you know, algal blooms and all the ways that they can't enjoy the environmental pleasures that, that this community has always been known for. And then just living through day to day with this insane traffic yeah. and gridlock and, and none of it even making sense. Uh, I think people are realizing, oh, we, we this is how we're subsidizing. You may not have raised my taxes, but this is how I'm subsidizing new growth. Yeah. Is that my services, level quality of service and quality of life have been devalued significantly. Yeah, and then they want to spend all our money on the infrastructure. Like, it's great. Oh, we yeah. have this 44, oh, 44th, yes. $144 million. Well, the $144 million should have been paid totally by Shreda Manatee, their mm -hmm. development, because... You know, the spoiler alert is before there was all that growth, 
Sprayer Manatee owned all that property, and they were re- they were responsible for putting in that infrastructure. I mean, I was adamant about it. I mean, this should be just all you. And so they actually created a, a Lakewood Ranch stewardship district out there, and that was supposed to help pay for some of this growth. Well, it's never paid, and that, now we reduce our impact fees. I mean, we could go on and on, but I mean, when you look at the balance of of quality of life versus all this excessive development and who's paying for it. And then to get back to how do you pay for the infrastructure in the urban areas if you're spending all the money out there to try to build roads for your new growth that the developers should be paying for? You know, so $144 million for 44th Avenue. Well, I could have fixed the DeSoto Bridge problems mm-hmm. going through downtown Bradenton's problems with $144 million that I had to take away from downtown and spend for a developer that the comp plan clearly states the developer is supposed to pay for those costs that they're needed for their development communities. I mean, it's, it, that was such a clear, clear, you know, kind of path for you to charge a developer because there was no development out there. Right. <laughs> had, had it not been for them, you don't need 44th Avenue extension, $144 million. And then we have this piecework that they're just going to replace the DeSoto bridge and not have flyovers like you see in St. Pete and Tampa, like the new Gandhi uh, Selman Expressway. I mean, you're you're going to be stuck with gridlock, and the sad part is it takes 15 years for us to go from a concept today to having something to actual, constructed. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be so intolerable by the time we get to 15 year mark. But that's if we started with a plan today. Today, yes. So which we still don't have which a we're plan. Not, we're not a, we're not even moving <laughs> yeah. toward and it. Yeah. Maybe you could get something expedited in ten years, but I mean, you're talking about right away design, uh, getting community to pull together. So instead of talking about all this nonsense, like you write about, you know, these, you know, crazy ideas that they come up with to to just have political statements, you know, you know, instead of really working on solutions they're they're yeah we don't have the roll up the sleeve type of of commissioners that are interested in understanding what goes into this and then affecting the necessary change we we've devolved into the sense where what they're really here for let let staff take care of all those things unless you know sugar daddy calls us up and tells us that we need to intervene and then let's just do political theater about you know red meat Culture war nonsense. Yeah. And, and blame past administrations yeah, and boards yeah, for yeah. not doing it. Actually, there was more stuff that was done in the past. That I mean, 44th Avenue is a good example. I mean, the new board wasn't responsible right. for that. Any of it, right. They're just paying for it with our tax dollars versus making the developers pay for it. Because, I mean, if the impact fees were raised like they should be, then at least you would have that to help mm-hmm. pay for it. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll wrap it up there. I know that we are in our uh, end of the year um, push for subscribers. I think we're about 25% towards our goal. Is that yeah, we're right? getting closer. I think we're almost uh, halfway there. So anybody that hasn't uh, become a paid subscriber, it's the Christmas season. It's always a good time to be generous. And <laughs> if you'd like to be generous to uh, supporting local news in this community, because without local news, we really are going to have no democracy. We'll have horrible quality of life. And um, it's, it's not what America's made out of. I mean, it's one of those things I feel feel very passionate about as a publisher is is the publication of, of news that focuses on what local governments are doing because it impacts our lives so much. And so with, you know, people's help, you know, if you're already a paid subscriber, it doesn't hurt for you to reach out to some of your friends and send them an email and say, hey, this is an investment worth 
giving towards. I mean, we only asked for $7 voluntary subscription. I had one person say, hey, the best I could do is $5. Hope that's enough. And it's like, you know, whatever you can do. I don't care if it's $2, $3. That reminded me of that scene in It's a Wonderful Life when they're run on the building alone and the one woman goes, I can get by with seventeen fifty, and he kisses on the cheek. <laughs> like, you're giving the only five? Absolutely, we love it. Yeah, and it's it shows you the value that um, news has to people. Yeah. And so it's it's rewarding. Um, but on the other side, you know, we still need a lot more people to, one, read our product and help support the product. So if you are a subscriber, you know, try to encourage other people to become paid subscribers. And if, if um, you would, just let people know about what we're doing at the Bradenton Times. Because when you look at where I was as a county commissioner in 1990 when I first became a county commissioner, I mean, I served for 22 years. And out of those 22 years, the, the first part of those years – we had at least three news sources covering intensely of what county commissioners did and city governments and school boards. And now you basically have us that are really, you know, our product is really the only product that is doing the detailed mm -hmm. type of news stories that used to take place all the time, probably on steroids compared to what you right. know, we're doing. I mean, you'd probably have four or five things. I mean, you, you want to talk about government getting in your life. I mean, we used to have reporters that knock on your, you know, bathroom window <laughs> or bedroom window. Hey, can I get a comment? You know, right. You know, oh, maybe I need to change my approach. <laughs> Perhaps that's how I should get some comments. So start yeah. knocking on some bathroom windows. You all have got bail money for th me, right? I think, I think we used to call that reporter tennis shoes. Or was, the season, or was the nickname. season of yeah. giving. Yeah. Be ready to get me <laughs> yeah, out of no jail, worry. Joe. I don't think you'll get there. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend knocking on a bedroom door today or a window. Best to call. No, first. I stay out of other people's yards. But, and yeah, we're, we're fortunate. <laughs> we're fortunate as a community. I mean, as far as uh, we dwell a lot on the negatives, but there's a lot of positive things that are taking place. You know, when you see the amount of people that are so generous and giving in this community and support all these local causes. I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, defies what our government's doing and mm -hmm. kind of shows you that you really can't really count on government to solve right. the problems. The best solutions to government really comes from private sectors. And then you could consider the not-for-profits part of that private sector, um, part of the solutions to our community. Because if you had to wait for government, to solve problems, we, you know, it's like our bridge problem on DeSoto. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I held what there was called a charrette in 2012, 2011 to, to try to bring focus, mm -hmm. you know, let's get this thing done right now. And so here we are 11 years later. So if, if the county commissioners would have picked up the ball and ran with it in that 2012 year, we would have been building the solution today. Right. That's, and there was zero interest. I remember you held that. We collected all that information as a community and they did absolutely nothing yeah. with it. Yep. Yeah. And then they had another central corridor study and another study. Yep. <laughs> now they wanted to do another study. It's like, are we kidding ourselves here? <laughs> well, the studies are out of date now, Joe. We haven't taken action. <laughs> well, right. gentlemen, I, uh, I always enjoy all of us coming together for the podcast. So this has been fun. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you to guys. You. And Merry Christmas else. to you as well. Merry Christmas to all our listeners. Again, if you can subscribe, it's right there on the homepage. $7 a month, voluntary, $70 for the year. We do not put a 
paywall up because we don't want to stop anybody from getting this important information that they can act on as a citizen. So uh, your support is greatly appreciated. We will be back after the holidays with the Braden to Times podcast and stay tuned. We will have our best of annual edition come out uh, a week from this Sunday. As always, thank you for following the Bradenton Times.com fact-based news and analysis without an agenda.